My message today is entitled, With Apologies to John Coltrane, The Light Supreme. And if you know, you know. Uh, and if you don't, talk to someone who listens to jazz, and they'll, they'll explain the, 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 the bit of an illusion there. But that's just incidental. Our text is from John chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 8. And uh, you can follow along on the screen, uh, on, on your Bibles, uh, on the phone. If you'd like uh, the Pew Bible, uh, you'll find this on page 517. So let's give our attention to, to this text, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So I want to, I want to share with you uh, a, a photo, photographic reproduction of my very favorite work of art, okay? Um, now, I know nothing about art, but I know what I like. You know, you've, you've heard that before. Uh, what, what little I know about art, I know from, from having had two kids who took art history uh, <coughs> AP in high school and, and, and going to, to museums and, and galleries and, and watching a little bit of the Sister Wendy series back on PBS, if any of you are old enough to remember Sister Wendy. Uh, there we go. Yeah, yay for Sister Wendy. Um, but uh, several years ago, more years than I care to recall, uh, I was on a sabbatical, and I was spending it at a research library in Cambridge, England. And uh, Tammy and the kids were with me for part of the time, but part of the time I was there by myself. So to kind of give myself a break on Sundays, I would take the train into London uh, and go to, to one of the, the great churches uh, in London for, for services. And then I would spend the afternoon just doing some sightseeing. And so one, one afternoon I went to the National Gallery in, in London, which is the, 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 the big uh, gallery of, of Western art there. And uh, one of the first things that I saw was, was this piece. It's known as the Burlington House cartoon. But cartoon here is, is not the, what I would think of as a cartoon. I guess this comes from an Italian word that means big piece of paper. Um, because this is actually a big piece of paper made out of several small pieces of paper. And this is by the celebrated artist uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And it's, it's a sketch. It's done with charcoal and chalk on paper. But, and, and I wish this reproduction could, could convey the effect that this had on me because when I walked into the room where this was, I gasped. It, it had that kind of effect because the, 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 the very human love of the subjects was, was so obvious to me. I think you can see this in part. This is a representation of um, the Virgin Mary uh, who is on the left, sitting on her mother's lap. Traditionally, the, not from the Bible, but from tradition, uh, the, the mother of Mary is known as St. Anne. Well, she has the Christ child that she's holding, and over on the right is the toddler, is John the Baptist. And if you look at the facial expressions on, on each of these figures, it's such a profound uh, representation of, of the love and care and tenderness that exists among all of these. Even though this is, you know, it's, it's not in full color, the sketch isn't even finished. There are elements of it that aren't done. If you, if you look 
um, it, it actually, if you can go back to the previous slide. I, okay, now I feel like Sister Wendy all of a sudden. Okay. It, you can barely see that, that uh, St. Anne is raising her hand to point upward right between uh, Christ and John the Baptist. Uh, Leonardo never finished that. I don't know why. Maybe he got interrupted. Maybe he decided he didn't like it. I love it. Okay. But now let's go to the detail. This is what I found especially fascinating about this piece because I don't know anything about art, but I'm supposed to know something about the Bible. And what I noticed about this is the way that John the Baptist cannot remove his gaze from Christ. He's transfixed. He's captivated by Christ. And that's exactly what the Gospel of John is telling us in this short text. John the Baptist is captivated by Jesus. And this is what, what John is telling us here in this text. John wants us to understand that John the Baptist points us to God's supreme light. His position, such as it was, big enough that Leonardo would represent him in, in one of his, his greatest works. His position is great, but he points us to God's supreme light. So today we'll look closely at this text that we've read as a part of the larger gospel of John, as a part of the story of Jesus in all of the gospels, and really as a part of the entire library of scripture, because we want to understand what it means to regard Jesus as this supreme light and how we understand this. So let's think about the text. First of all, John is telling us that God sent John, that is John the Baptist, and others. God sent him and others. Now, you and I are, to a greater or lesser degree, all the time, in various means, by various expressions, preoccupied with a particular question. The question of all questions for human beings is, why is the world such a mess? Why do we live in a world which is a combination of, of, of beauty and, and, and sustenance, but, but hostility and disappointment and cruelty at the same time? And so a question really follows out of that. If God is there, why doesn't God do something about this mess? Why doesn't God do something about the evil and the tragedy and the suffering that is in the world? For many people, if there is a God, and that's a question that they might keep open, if there is a God, he seems to be so distant that he's, he's irrelevant. He's out of the picture. Well, what the Bible tells us and what John is summarizing the Gospel of John is summarizing here, telling us that God sent John the Baptist, is this. God is doing something about it. And the something that he's doing can be summarized with the word sending. The God of the Bible is always a sending God. The story of the Bible is the story of God sending his messengers from the very beginning, sending the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph sending Israel's judges, people like Gideon and Deborah and Samson, and especially sending the prophets, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Amos, others, sending them with his message and with his work, that his sending is the way that he is addressing the mess that we find ourselves in. So God is always sending, and in that sending, God is always promising. He's telling us he is in the process of doing and he will do. 
He puts us in a situation of recognizing what he is doing and waiting for him to bring it to fulfillment. And critical here for us to understand is that when God is promising, he's not just saying someone will do this. He's saying, I will do it. He's committing himself to act on our behalf, to do the thing that we need done for us. Somehow he both sends his people to do his work and he does the thing himself. Well, this is where John fits in. And this is why the Gospel of John describes John the Baptist in this way. John stood at the threshold of the moment of the fulfillment of these promises. And so in that respect, John could be seen as the greatest of all those whom God had sent because he comes at the, at the climax of this long line of sending. Now, you and I don't always appreciate uh, the prominence that John the Baptist had in the time of, of the New Testament. Okay? If, if we had lived in the, in the time of the New Testament, John would have been one of, for us, one of the most famous figures in, in the Jewish world, uh, well known to, to all, of our, all of our contemporaries, uh, and, and still in many circles revered, seen as, as a very central figure. Uh, at that point. Well, this text is framing that prominence. It's saying, yeah, he's important. God sent him. He's important because he comes near the end of this long line of those who are sent. But even as we say he's the greatest of those who are sent, the Gospel of John says, ah, but not really. Jesus in, in, the, uh, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke calls John, the greatest of those who were born of women. I'm sorry, this is not in Mark, just in Matthew or Luke. Every once in a while, my old life as a New Testament professor just kind of bubbles up to the surface, and I have to correct things that I say that are wrong. Not in Mark, but in Matthew and Luke. Yeah, in Matthew and Luke, Jesus says, John is the greatest of those born among, uh, of, of women. And then he turns around and says, ah, but the greatest in the kingdom of God, greater than he, or, or the least in the kingdom of God, greater than he. What's this, what's this paradox that, that's going on? Jesus calls him the greatest, but then says any subject of God's kingdom is greater still. Well, I love how Leonardo portrayed John the Baptist in, in that drawing that we saw. Not only is he the most attentive toddler in the history of humanity, but he's there in the picture on the side, totally focused on the one who's in the center totally focused on the one who's in the center. John is not quite the center of the picture, but he is a direct pointer to the center of the picture. He is alongside. He is focused. He is captivated. You see, our text is reminding us that God has always been near. He has never left us alone. He has never left himself without witness to anyone. He has never abandoned people to their own devices. He is always making himself known. He is always drawing people to himself. He is not silent. He is not removed. He is not mysterious. He is the God of light. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in history. He reveals himself in his sacred word through his prophets. And supremely, he reveals himself in 
well, you know, let's, let's go to another point. God sent John and others to testify to Jesus, the light, the light supreme. See, God isn't in the business of sending people to make them famous. He isn't, he isn't deciding who's better and, and who's, who's worse. Many of you are, are educators. One of the things that frustrated me in my life uh, as an educator is that sometimes it feels like your job is just to sort people, you know, to decide who's better and who's worse. I don't care. I just want people to learn, okay? Uh, that's, that's what I, I think it should be all about. End of, end of sermon about education. But, uh, but God isn't in the business of sending people to say that they're better. He sends them on a mission. He sends them on a work. And the mission is announcing his promise to make the world his again with the full assurance that he is fulfilling that promise. It is to say God is not finished, but he will be soon. And soon enough for all of us. And so those whom God sends give testimony, as the Gospel of John says here, testimony which comes both by what they say and by what they do, both by word and by deed. They confess and they proclaim. They live a life that reflects who their God is, that he is faithful and loving and generous and self-sacrificial, forgiving, gracious, merciful. This is what should characterize their lives because it's what characterizes who God is. It's the way God acts in the world. It's the way God reveals himself. And this stands out like light in darkness. Because what's wrong with our world? It's that it's a world of self-interest and self-promotion, a world of the survival of the fittest. Quite frankly, the people who give testimony to the light don't really seem like they fit into that kind of world. They challenge the very idea of that kind of world by their very existence in it. And this is the witness or the, or the testimony that is so prominent in the Gospel of John. I, I want to just give attention for, for a, a few minutes to uh, another section uh, a little bit later in, in the first chapter of John where we see this kind of narrated, uh, beginning in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 19. And, uh, and, and the text is going to appear on the screen with certain words highlighted, and I especially want you to notice those. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. You see how the Gospel of John says three times he said that? Okay, it's focusing on this testimony, not him, someone else. Well, then who are you? Elijah? No. Prophet? No. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer, okay? I've got a test to take at the end of the month. I need to know the answer to this question. And he answered, okay, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I'm coming before someone else, someone greater. John's consistent message. They've been sent from the Pharisees. They said, well, why are you baptizing? Nobody's ever done this before if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. He said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, if you're a good Jewish person of the first century, you do not talk this way about other people. Okay? You're not so much less than other people that you can't untie their shoes. You would only say that about God himself. That's the kind of statement that he's making. 
So it continues. This took place in Bethany, etc. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. For this purpose I came. And so this, this text ends. Go ahead. We may need to skip a slide or two. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. What's all of that about? It's about that consistent, unrelenting, unerring testimony. This is what God is doing. This is the supreme climax of everything that the sending God has done in history. This is where everything is leading. This is the purpose that God had from before the foundation of the world, before anything was. This is what God wants. This is what God does. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as John, as the text continues and as John repeats this, we read two of his disciples go and follow Jesus. And so the story of Jesus begins in the Gospel of John. Through John, or or though John is a prophet who stands just before Jesus, he's not the only prophet of God who is focused on this. The whole of God's revelation is focused in this way. We often become so caught up in the details of Scripture that we miss the central focus. You know, Moses is this, is this seminal figure in the life of Israel. But Moses spoke of a prophet coming after him who was greater, and he's talking about Jesus. Samuel anointed David as Israel's great king. And Samuel and David with Nathan the prophet in David's court, we have there the testimony that is given in 2 Samuel chapter 7 of great David's greater son whose throne God will establish forever talking about Jesus. You know, the the, the prophets who spoke about the kings of Israel, prophets like Isaiah, they were ultimately focused on the great king, the righteous king Jesus, the one born of a virgin, the one on on whom uh, the, the government will be on his shoulder and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When we think about the prophets who spoke of exile, Like Jeremiah, well, they spoke of a restoration beyond exile that would be brought about by one that Jeremiah calls the branch of David. Again, the great son of David who is going to do all of this. As we think about a prophet like Daniel who was dealing with with evil and suffering and has a vision of of beastly kingdoms that that tear up the world, a a vision which is, is very familiar to us, okay, as, as we experience that kind of thing. He spoke of the one like the son of man who would defeat the beastly kingdoms and whose throne would endure forever. The entirety of God's work, of God's revelation, is focused on the true light, the light supreme, on Jesus, as John shows us. The patriarchs were all looking for the fulfillment of God's promise that God gave to Abraham, that I will bless all nations. This is is where everything is going. So in Jesus, we have have kind of the answer to that paradox that, that we see in Scripture. How can God both send people to do his work and do the work himself? He does it in Jesus, whom he sends and in whom he is uniquely present, in whom God the Son is incarnate, fully God and fully human. This is where God is supremely revealed. You know, the the remarkable thing about this is that we, as followers of Jesus, we can say, now God's light can be seen in part, in all kinds of places. It can be found where? In nature. 
It can be found in the study of nature, in science. It can be found in literature. It can be found in philosophy. It can be found in religion. It can be found in art, like in the National Gallery, when you're looking at Leonardo. It can be found in friendship, in family. Dare I say it? It can even be found in the FIFA World Cup. Okay? I'm pretty sure there's a lesson there about marking up in the box that God wants us to understand from, from the United States defeat yesterday. I don't know anything about art or soccer, but I know what I like. Okay? You know, there, there, there's light all over the place. We don't need to feel like we're cut off. But what we understand is that there is only one light supreme. And there is only one story of how God has brought that light into the world. Here's the math. We can know truth from all kinds of sources. But if God entered the world as a human being once and only once, then it is obvious that without knowing that God-man, God incarnate, we cannot truly know God. And so we cannot truly embrace life, the universe, and everything. Now I offer apologies to Douglas Adams. So where does this leave you and me? God sent John and others to testify to Jesus, the light, so that all can believe in the light, so that all can believe in the light. This is the overarching message of the Gospel of John. Uh, John's Gospel makes no bones about telling you why he wrote the book. If you read to the end, Jesus has died, he's risen, he's appeared to his disciples and then he has appeared again to his disciples when Thomas was there, the one who just wasn't sure and wanted the proof. And then he gets the proof. And then John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John writes about signs, miraculous things that Jesus does through the whole book. The greatest is his own resurrection. Okay. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There it is. The Gospel of John was telling us this story so that we would believe. The Gospel of John had to deal with something far from us, an ongoing religious group that focused on John the Baptist without Jesus. And that's probably the reason why he drops this text into chapter 1 as, as early as he does in this very important discussion. And that's very different from what we would face. But to any place and any time, this affirmation in the Gospel of John tells us there's no middle ground where Jesus, the light, is concerned. As C.S. Lewis said, it won't do to just say Jesus was a good religious teacher. Because most of what he had to say had to do with himself and with his unique position in history. And the Gospel of John gives testimony to this, to, this, to this focus. And so that makes a demand on us. If Jesus is indeed the eternal divine word of God become human, then he is supreme over all creation and all humanity. And so his supremacy demands our submission. It demands our confession. It demands our proclamation in word and deed. It demands the transformation of our character and behavior to be like his supreme character and behavior. That's how the light shines. That's how the, what the light means. That's what the light shows us. And so this is where we understand that believing in Jesus is not just rote confession 
that is repeated or a prayer that is prayed on one occasion. Belief is much more than that. It floods the soul. It overwhelms everything else. It commands every part of a person's life. This doesn't happen instantaneously or all at once, but we recognize immediately the intense logic of the, of the situation that God has laid before us, and we are drawn and impelled to put into practice inside and out submission to the light supreme. And when we do that, we find the real life that God has for us. As Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It sounds weird to say that if you give up your life, you find it. But that's exactly what Jesus, the light, tells us and shows us. And so you and I become as in Leonardo's exquisite drawing, captivated by Jesus. We become sent people, as John was sent, not with the prominence, but with the mission, with the same relationship, captivated by Jesus. Two times in John's gospel, Jesus says words to this effect. These are from John 20, 21, but he says similar things as he's praying to God in John 17, 18. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he gives us his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God who empowered the prophets of old, who empowered John the Baptist to live as those who have been sent. All right, so where are we? What do we, what do we make of all of this? Well, are you restless, just uncertain, unsettled? I understand where that comes from. The world is an unsettling place. Just when you think you're comfortable, something happens to pull the rug right out from under you. Are you restless? Ground yourself in Jesus and find the thing that you really seek in your restlessness. Do you suffer? Of course. Ground yourself in Jesus as the one who knew what it was to suffer, who is with us in our suffering and promises us resurrection as he received it from the Father. Do you seek purpose and meaning? Ground yourself in Jesus and find how every mundane task, every worthwhile walk of life, every stage of life, youth, middle age, old age, can be filled with meaning and purpose as the humble, self-sacrificial, serving love of Jesus fills every part of life. It leaves us captivated by Jesus, God's true light, just like John the Baptist. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we struggle sometimes to see our place in the world, to make sense of, of, of life around us, to, to sort out our, our, our purpose, our feelings, our experiences. We have hurts, we have disappointments. Um, 
so many things that, that give us fear or sadness. But in Christ, Lord, you have given us the light supreme. We pray that you would continue to, to draw us, to direct us, to open us to the reality of, of that light, that it could shine brightly within us and shine through us to the world that we can be both enlightened and you can be sent. We pray this in the name of, of Jesus, our Lord.